For those of you who are new to Grace, uh, you might not be aware that three weeks ago we had a survey and we invited our church family to respond to what are the top questions about faith, spirituality, things of the Bible that you think people are asking today. And we said, we're going to address those questions in the weeks to come. And so you're going to see the results of the survey here if you miss those. And, uh, and the top question was, what about the afterlife? What do we know about the afterlife? And, and what are the, you know, will I recognize my friends, my spouse if I'm married in heaven? What about my pets? Uh, questions, what about the kind of body I'm going to have? Those kind of questions. We looked at that a few weeks ago. Today is the second most popular question that was responded to, and it's this, what needs to happen before the second coming of Jesus? And it's timely that we celebrate a communion today because you might remember how the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, he ties together the, the, um, the act of communion, uh, celebrating what, the Lord's Supper with the second coming, that we not only look back on the cross and say, this is what he did for me, I remember, but... He says this in, in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death. What, how does it end? Until he comes again. Until he comes again. So every time that you hold the bread and the cup in your hands, we're saying, Jesus, it's not just what you've done for me, but it's what you're going to do in the future. We're waiting. We're anticipating that that, that you're not done with this broken world, that you will come again and restore all things to the way that you intended. And so that's our topic today is answering that question. What needs to happen before that event takes place? Let me just catch up for a second, a few of you, before we dig in, just a, an update on Mary and me, because a lot of you have asked, hey, how do things go for Mary's Brothers Memorial Service? Um, this past Friday, we were in Alabama, and uh, Mary's younger brother, uh, Andy, died at the age of 52, and so uh, I officiated the service there, and uh, we had a sweet time with extended family and friends, and are so grateful that Andy had put his trust in Jesus, and he had told me just weeks before his death, he said, I, I'm, I'm sort of afraid of the process of death, but I, I know where I'm going. I, I know that my trust is in Jesus, and so can't wait to see Andy again. Just before that, Mary and I returned from uh, leading a uh, pilgrimage to Israel with uh, 44 people uh, here, team from Grace, and we had a really fantastic time together. In fact, I'll just show you a few pics because some of you have asked, but here are some. This is me giving a brief devotional on the Sea of Galilee, just after that, we walked on the water. Uh, it was uh, really remarkable. <laughs> we actually didn't want to show up other tour groups, so you know we didn't do that. Then the Garden of Gethsemane there, where Jesus prayed the night before his death. We went to the caves of Engedi, uh, which is where David hid when he was being chased by Saul right there near the Dead Sea. And then, of course, we walked the streets of Jerusalem. Uh, an amazing city filled with the history uh, of the world's three monotheistic religions, Islam and Judaism and Christianity, and so much happened there, and, and just really grateful for our team. Uh, they got along so well. That's the team right by the walls of Jerusalem. The very steps that Jesus would have used, part of those steps, they said, this is the, the, it's not like been covered on top of, these are the very steps Jesus would have used to walk up to the temple grounds. 
Uh, so it was a delightful time. Some of you have expressed interest. If we take another trip, just send us a note. We'll probably have a trip in the next 18 to 24 months, and we'll keep you up to date on that. Even while we stood on the Mount of Olives, we recall that Jesus said, <clears throat> he gave the Great Commission. He said, you're going to be my witnesses. And just after that, 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus was taken up to heaven, right? And the angels appear and they go, just as he was taken up into heaven in the same way, he's going to do what? He's going to come again. And we're standing there going, this is what was said, right? Like this is where they watched him go up in, in, into the sky and it, he's going to come again. You know that a lot of Americans believe that? It's pretty remarkable. There was a Pew, uh, the Pew Research Center uh, did a survey just a few months ago in December of 2022, and they dealt with this very topic, and here's what they discovered. They discovered that 55% of all Americans ages 18 and up believe in the second coming of Jesus. Not, not just some kind of symbolic or metaphorical kind of coming again, but they actually mean that they believe that Jesus will literally physically come to earth again. Not surprisingly, the vast majority of American evangelicals, those who are take the Bible seriously, have a relationship with Christ, believe in the second coming. But maybe what stunned me the most from the Pew study was this, that how many non-Christians even believe in the second coming of Christ? 18% of Americans who are members of non-Christian religions believe that Jesus is coming back to earth again one day. So this is a popular belief uh, in our nation and you might say, well, that's interesting, but that's not really what matters. I mean, Americans believe a lot of things, but they believe a lot of things that aren't true, right? What we want to come back to is we want to come back to what, is, what does the book teach, right? That this is God's trustworthy revelation to us. We believe in accurate representation of, of God's heart, what he wanted to say to his people. And so let's see what the Bible says Jesus' first followers ask him a question. So many wonder about today. They're like, Jesus, when is this going to happen? We believe it's going to happen. When is it going to happen? And like, when are you going to come again? And let's see how Jesus responds. If you turn with me to Matthew chapter 24, Matthew 24, uh, if you want to use a paper Bible, you have that. Maybe you have your Bible app. There are notes on your way in. Those of you engaging online, or if you miss notes on the way in, just go to our homepage, gracemia.org, and you'll find notes there. And let me say, uh, blessings on all of you. Shalom to those of you at the Olmsted Falls campus. Uh, we love you. And guys at Lorraine Correctional, those of, others of you engaging throughout Northeast Ohio or wherever you might be in our country or in other countries around the world, Really glad to have you digging into God's word uh, with us. Here's what Jesus says about his second coming. He gives some indications. Some call this the little apocalypse, Matthew chapter 24. The apocalypse itself being, you know, the revelation and the last book of the Bible. But here's what Jesus says about his second coming. Matthew 24, verse 1, reading from the New International Version. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to his buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. 
Tell us, they said, uh, Lord, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these are the, what? Beginnings of birth pains. In other words, Jesus, there are two different metaphors that are used in the Bible, at least. One is pregnancy, that you know that a baby is coming, but you're not exactly sure when. And he says, there are birth pains uh, that, that have birth, that, that you know, like, okay, it's getting nearer, but it's not quite there. The other one is he says that, that be on alert because the coming of Jesus will be like a, something in the night, a thief in the night, right? A thief in the night. Let's drop down here in Matthew 24 to verse 30, and we read this. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the people of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. A little bit different than his birth when there was a few animal witnesses and human witnesses and he was a baby. It says, wow, power, great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect, that is those who are part of his family from, from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. It's just one of the many times that Jesus spoke of coming again. In fact, did you know that there, in the New Testament, there are approximately 300 passages that refer to the second coming? There are actually eight times more prophecies in the Bible about the second coming of Christ than about the first coming of Christ. So this is a consistent theme, not, not just a one-off kind of deal in Scripture. His return is not a matter of if, but a matter of, of when. Someone gave me a hoodie that has on the back, it says, I'll be back. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I'll be back. And it's true. He's going to be back. He's going to come back. He will come and every eye will see him. So it's to be expected then if we say, okay, he's going to come, that the first question that people want to ask is, when, when, right? In fact, it's the question that Jesus' disciples ask here in verse 24. It's, it's also their last question before Jesus ascends to heaven. In Acts chapter 1, verse 6, it says this, then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? In other words, is this, is this the time? Like, it, they have the same question we do. When is it all going to end? When are they going to be the signs of your coming? So what needs to happen before Jesus returns? Back in Matthew 24 here, um, I'm not going to read everything, but I just have some bullet points that give some of the birth pains. What, what, what is it going to be that indicate close to the end and, and that we can be prepared? At least eight signs that Jesus gives here that indicate that the second coming is getting closer. Here's a quick summary. You'll see these listed in your notes with the verses as well. Verses 6 to 7, he talks about wars and threats of wars. Verses Seven and eight, an increase in the number of natural disasters. Now, verse nine, 
the persecution of Christians, verses 10 to 13, the renunciation of faith by many who once followed Christ. By the way, on the topic of persecution, the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom noted in its recent annual report that religious freedom is in decline around the globe. Countries like Eritrea and Iran and Nigeria and China and North Korea and Pakistan and Saudi Arabia and Sudan, I mean, it's, it's very, very difficult to be a Christian in those places. If we say, well, I don't know if we really face persecution, it's happening. It's happening in many countries around the world. Jesus continues, he talks in verse 10 about internal division and discord among Christians. We've had a bit of that the last couple of years, have we not? In the church, not only in America, but, but globally, lots of tension and discord. Verse 12, he talks about immorality and insensitivity to immorality. In other words, we keep moving the guardrails. I mean, I think today it'd be fair to say that more and more it just says everyone does what is right in their own eyes, right? That there's an increase in wickedness. Boy, you read this list, it sounds a little bit like uh, today's news feed, doesn't it? And amid the bad, uh, Jesus talks about how his light will continue to shine through those who are faithful to him. One of the keys to his return in verse 14, he says, this gospel, in other words, the good news of what he's done for us will be proclaimed in all nations. The, the word is ethne. Most Bible scholars say that's not just referring to like a nation state, but to people groups within that nation. Or there might be, you know, dozens or hundreds of people groups in one nation, the different language groups. And then verses 23 to 25, he says, along with the gospel getting out, there's going to be a rise in the number of false prophets and people who claim to be the Christ. We've, you might not hear that commonly, but, but uh, social media allows them to have a, a broad hearing. You read a list like this straight from Jesus and you start to wonder, could he come again soon? I mean, many believe that's possible. They'd say, we think we're in the last days. Like this, this could be the generation. There are others at the same time who would say such signs have always been with us, that, that Christians of every era of history thought that theirs might be the last. If you lived through World War II or through some other horrific time, you might say, I, I, I was, their people were sure it was going to happen. Then you say, Jonathan, what do you believe? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. What I do know is that we're always getting closer to the end of this age than any other era of Christians, right? We just know we're getting closer, like it's further from the time when Jesus made the promise. And well, what does Jesus say? You know, he, even with these signs and the fact that it could be any time, it could be soon, Jesus says no one knows. No one knows the date of his return. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, he says, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself, only who knows? Only the Father knows. So not even Jesus knew, at least at that time. He says only the Father knows. So is the end near? It's nearer, for sure. Whether it happens in our lifetime or not, 
We don't know when it will take place, but here's what we do know. Here's what we do know. We know how we're supposed to live in the world today. Jesus makes that clear. We, we know the assignment that he's given us. Let me, let me just say this again. Um, talk about his second coming was, was never intended just to scare his followers, okay? It wasn't cause for you to be like, I just live with this perpetual sense of fear. If you don't follow Jesus, there's reason to be afraid. But what Jesus is telling us is he's saying to his followers, going, hey, this broken world is not the end for you. I'm going to come and make everything right. It's going to be the way that I was intended. And, and it's like we saw a couple weeks ago. He says, there's going to be a chapter that goes on forever and ever where there's no more mourning or weeping, crying or pain, and every tear will be wiped away. And it's all the brokenness of this world be gone forever. What a day it's going to be, Right. And Jesus is saying, I'm coming back. If you're filled with sorrow or there's loneliness or whatever you face in this life, he goes, this isn't the end. There's another chapter still to come in a home that will last forever. So the question for us, the final one in your notes is how can we be prepared? Well, Jesus tells us. He doesn't want us to be caught off guard. And so back here in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36 we read it already, but let's read it again. He says, so also you must, what? Be ready. Jesus is essentially saying this. He's saying, I'm not going to tell you when. I don't know when. Only the Father knows. But I'll tell you this. I want you to be ready. Some people are more uh, consumed with the timetable than with the temperature of their heart. They're more concerned about the order of events than they are about their own personal readiness for the time that Jesus would come again. So what does it look like to be ready? First, it means that you're in right relationship with him, right? You're following him. You're prioritizing your relationship with him. He says in, in John chapter 6, verse 40, Jesus says, my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son, to Jesus, and believes in him shall have eternal life. And when you do that, here's the promise. Our theme verse from Easter Sunday, Luke chapter 10, verse 20. You can rejoice that your names are what? Written in heaven, written in heaven. Did you see the signatures on the crosses out in the lobby? Uh, I mean, at each one of our campuses, Olmsted Falls, Lorraine, Middleburg, just to, for people, when, here's the, when you put your trust in Jesus and say, Jesus, I can't. But you can, and you did. You died in my place. You paid the penalty. What you did allows me to be reconciled to a relationship with my Father in heaven, to be adopted into your family forever, and to know that my life is infused with purpose and meaning, and your Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in my life. We can know that. We can know that. And, and when you live with that reality, you're ready. You're, you're, you're ready. Your, your names are written in heaven. So the first step is to put your trust in Christ if you've never done that. If Jesus talks in this chapter, Matthew 24, he says, when he comes again, he says, there's going to be two people out in the fields and one's going to remain and one's going to be taken, Right? I mean, it's going, to be a, it's going to be a terrifying day for those who are left behind on the day that Jesus comes again. So don't be caught unprepared on the day that Jesus returns. He says, be ready, be ready. 
It's another way to be prepared for a second coming. Let's read Matthew 24, verse 45 and following. Such a key point here because it corrects something that people can go off the rails. Here's what he says. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It'll be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Here's what Jesus is saying. His imminent return doesn't mean that we should cease long-term projects. You know, we don't quit our jobs, head up to the top of a mountain away. There are Christians who have done that. You've read about that in the news. I remember back, I, in fact, I have on my shelf still 88 reasons why Jesus will come in what year? 1988. Some of you are like, I wasn't even alive then. I was like three years old and, you know, I, uh, <laughs> but they, that was, there were people who believed that. Then that, that didn't work and they, they, you know, postponed it. But there were people in 1994 that they would sell everything and they would, you know, and, and Jesus says, if you know that I'm coming, he says, I want you to be faithful in whatever assignment you've been given. He says, what have you, what, what, what have you been given to do? Be faithful and wise in that. What, what he's saying is this, wherever you work, be a stellar teammate. Be the best teammate. Be the kind of person in your work environment where they go, wow, if we could clone somebody and it were ethical, we would want to clone you. Make the best contribution you can. If you're a student, give your best effort. If you're a parent, invest well with your kids in whatever assignment you have right now, be faithful. Be faithful. So be ready, be faithful, and then be a light wherever you go. Just tell others what Jesus means to you. Look, look, look um, back what Jesus says in verse 14. Really a significant verse, and for our movement, uh, collection of churches, the Christian Missionary Alliance, this verse has had profound meaning for us and for our founder, A.B. Simpson, and here's what it says. He, he one time responded to a New York Times reporter, and the reporter says, I, I hear you know when Jesus is going to come again, and he says, I, I do. And, uh, and you go, how can he know? Only the Father knows. And he said, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you if you print it exactly like I say it. This is back in the early 1900s. And he said this, he said, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a testimony uh, to all nations. And then what? The end will come. Then the end will come. The gospel is simply the good news, right, of what Jesus has done. That's what the word gospel means. You tell others what Jesus has meant to you, how he's worked in your life. They're like, man, how do you continue on after the loss you experienced or the crisis with your child or whatever? And you go, all I can tell you is that I know that, uh, that Jesus is working out his purposes in my life or I've sensed his comfort. You tell him what he's done for you. You share how he's given you wisdom when you've faced a significant decision in life. Maybe how he's provided in some way. You, you, you become a, a contagious follower of, of his, what he's done. You're a witness. You reflect Jesus' heart. You, you live out the life of Jesus because his spirit is within you. And when his spirit is within you, there's just an overflow of your life, right? Of, of love and joy and peace, all the character of Jesus. And Jesus says, I, I want you to do that. I want you to live out the good news. I want you to declare the good news. And if you've been around grace for a while, you've heard us say that we don't just do that in our own little spheres. We do that here and there, and what? Everywhere, right? That's, that's the heart. He says this will be preached as a testimony, not only to your communities, but as a testimony to all nations. All nations, he says. 
It's local and it's global. It's why we as a church family say we're, we care about our own community. We do a lot in, here in our own you know, region. And then we say, Jesus, we want to be a part of what you're doing around the world. Um, so how is Jesus' global family doing with the assignment that he's, he's given them of getting the good news out to all people? Let me just mention a couple of stats. These are not in your notes, but uh, things to celebrate. And then what remains to be done? 91% of the world's population has a Bible in their language. 91%. We're close to getting to completion. The Bible app, what I've, and so many of you have downloaded, the Bible app, which just began about 15 years ago, believe it or not, has been downloaded about 600 million times in 1,868 languages. Amazing. Almost any language represented at Grace Church is on the Bible app. Maybe you're going to be the one who gets us over the 600 million, you know, marker. The Bible app for kids has been downloaded 100 million times in 66 languages. The internet and radio have reached nearly every corner of the world, including people in remote places, some in closed countries. Iran, right now, they say the church is growing rapidly in the nation of Iran where no missionaries are allowed and churches would would be unthinkable. People are putting their trust in Christ. How? Through satellite television. And yet we still have a lot of work to do. About one in every five people are in a, a, an ethnic group or a, a people group, we might say, where they don't have any kind of gospel witness. Like there's no one in their community to tell them. And so the mission is still before us. But we're certainly closer than we've ever been before. And who knows what might happen with the rapid growth of the gospel in the next 20 years. What if we got to 100% of Bible translation, every people group having, every language group having the Bible in their language. Here's what the apostle Paul, uh, Peter writes. He says this in 2 Peter's second letter. He says, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think coming again. He says, no, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, and, but wants how many people to repent? Everyone, everyone, right? Remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. If you're wondering, why doesn't Jesus come back? Jesus told us, he says, this gospel of the kingdom has to be preached in every nation. And then Peter says, God's patient. He wants your family member. He wants your colleague. He wants your neighbor. He wants, he wants them to come to a relationship with him before Jesus comes back. So why didn't Jesus come in 100 AD? Because the church had not yet finished the task of getting the good news out to everybody. Why didn't Jesus come in 1000 AD? Because the church hadn't finished the task of getting the gospel out to everybody. Why didn't he come in 2000 AD? Because the church hadn't yet finished the task of getting the Why isn't he coming 2023? Same thing, right? But there's gonna come a day when Jesus, um, with his Father and the Spirit, say, the last group has been reached. And those birth pains will increase. And who knows when it might happen. We believe it could be at any time we're getting closer. You know, it's, I'm so grateful to be part of a church family. We have people from our own church family taking the good news to places like Tunisia and Mauritania and Costa Rica and Japan and Cambodia and Senegal and other places um, 
Why? Why would they do that? Because that's the heart of our Heavenly Father. So we don't know the exact date of Jesus' return, but we know this. When every group of people has heard the good news about Jesus, he's going to come again. That's what he says here in Matthew 24, verse 14. The day's getting closer. And what a day it's going to be. Every eye will see him. The trumpet call of God, the voice of the archangel, incredible excitement for those who know him. And for those who don't, it just brings us back to the question. We'd say, we, we don't know when it's going to happen. We, we've read some of the signs, the indicators, what Jesus himself said would precede us coming again. But let's change the question from what needs to happen to am I ready? Am I ready? Are, are you ready? Are you ready? If, if Jesus were to come back tonight, would, would you be ready? Maybe we could take personal inventory this way. What would you change in your life if you knew that Jesus was coming back tomorrow? What would you change? What comes to mind? If you have some kind of prompt in your life, it's not just a random thought. It may well be the Holy Spirit just pinpointing an area. His job is to convict to point out things in our life is like an internal alarm system. He not only comforts and encourages and guides, but he also points out areas of our life that need to change. The question is this, are you willing to make that change today? It's not super complicated. You accept the invitation of Jesus, you read the book, you pay attention to the bigger picture, you tell your friends, you, you live with integrity, you make your life count. You say, Holy Spirit, fill me. Have your way in me. And together, as God's people, we get to be on mission with him until that great day that he comes again. Are you ready? Would you just pray with me a moment and let's ask him to have his way in us? Maybe you'd pray something like this. Holy Spirit, come, fill my life. Spirit, would you point out anything in my life that needs to change, priorities that need to be realigned, a habit, a possession that needs to be removed from my life, a step of obedience that I need to take to honor you. Lord, maybe more boldness to be a witness for you and you want to be reflected in my life to colleagues and others that are in my circle of relationships. Spirit of Jesus, come. Make me more like the one who gave his life for me and help me to be ready. Help me to live in a way that I can anticipate that great day when Jesus comes. Jesus, thank you that you keep every promise and you'll keep this one as well. And thank you for giving us a way to be prepared, to live not with fear, but with confidence. So have your way in us, we ask, in your name. And everyone said, amen, amen. amen.